Cause I'm in the shit house Wish I played in a rock and roll band Somebody give me a dollar bill So I can pass out on the jukebox singing Honk, it's women I, I happen to kind of scroll across the 2020 uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction on yeah. hbo the other night like it was a virtual one yeah it's virtually fucking right uh-huh. Rock yeah, and roll. but i mean it should just be called the music hall of fame you know it's not really rock and roll necessarily so the inductees this year i'm not gonna like there were some producers or something but it was depeche mode whitney houston the doobie brothers t-rex notorious big and nine inch nails out of all of those I would say the most interesting one on the thing was the Doobie Brothers. I did not know how popular they were for that amount of time. Like, they were basically just super huge from the early 70s until the early 80s. But who is your favorite artist out of the those inductees? Well, there's two ways to answer it. Who do I think is the most... I mean, besides Whitney Houston being an amazing singer. I mean, I think Nine Inch Nails, very creative amazing kind of music changing but the 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 band i'm most likely to listen to that you mentioned is t-rex hmm that's definitely who i'm most likely to put on it sounds boring but i'm probably most likely to listen to the doobie brothers Um, (laughs) yeah um and it's it's an eclectic group i mean they hit most of the major um like genres here i mean it's a good group nine inch nails are awesome but i i don't know when I'm going to just put them on. I don't dislike any of them. Yeah. They're all good. Torius B.I.G. is, is great. I, I loved him growing up. Yeah, Whitney, I mean, Whitney, Whitney Houston, I had an old, a t- sister 10 years older than me who listened to, I probably knew every word on that Blue album she came out with in the 80s. I don't know Nine Inch Nails that well, but everything I do know of theirs, I, I enjoy listening to. Depeche Mode, I, I like some their of their place. stuff. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't like all their stuff. T-Rex, I like some of their stuff a lot, and then the rest of it, I don't. I could do without. Yeah, I know um, they're hits. But Jonathan, do you do you dive deeper? Do you listen to LPs? You know, I haven't. I just the Doobie Brothers. Like, I just heard that so much growing up in North Carolina that like I never need to. I would never put that on because like, I, I, I wouldn't need either. To. Yeah, but, I, it's absolutely the same. I heard so much Doobie Brothers yeah. growing up, but yeah, I, but, I um, still it still didn't register that they were just such a right. huge band i mean they, they were just like pop stars basically in the 70s yeah and to correct to jump on what you guys are saying i don't there's no time that i'm like oh i need some doobies right now <laughs> <laughs> but they're most likely to come up in my kind of world and they're such a staple of like classic rock you know like that 20th century boy by t-rex like i love that song and that's that's just one of the most fun guitar songs to play because it's not hard. You know, he really capitalized on the whole, like, rock and roll attitude. With like, I mean, he didn't have the content of, like, a lot of the folks he was in association with, Bowie and the Stones. Like, he, he wasn't, like, that significant of an artist. But yet, to me, like, unlike Kiss, he actually had music I want to hear. So, if, if only for 20th Century Boy. It, it really is fun, and he just really exemplified what it means to go out and party your ass off with great hair and playing rock and roll yeah <laughs> great hair but he also when they started it was just him and a drummer so i mean he's kind of the precursor to the white stripes and the black keys they released stuff like that 
I don't know. There was probably some other musicians on it, but when he was playing live early, it was guitar and, and drums. Like that's how he developed his sound. Yeah. Nice. It must be said too that Notorious B.I.G. just he was so so great. His the way he raps is uh, so unique compared to you know he really stands out. I, I don't listen to a lot of hip hop, but I definitely heard a lot of him in the nineties. Like he was one of the artists that kind of transcended the genre mm-hmm. and like moved into mainstream when I was a junior high or whenever that was. He lost me at saying baby twice back to back. Baby. What? Baby, yeah, yeah, that's that, you're gonna lose me if you kind of. I think right. that he sounds was amazing. Saying, he was talking about his girl. You're having my baby. baby. I, I'm not. I under. I, I know. <laughs> but like to me, <laughs> I, I just oh I listen God. to lyrics too closely. I think to just like come on, man. Like there's a way know. around that. I that, feel that, like that doesn't sound like a fair critique. So many songs that where they repeat lines or words or anything. But uh, I mean, I, I guess it's just your taste. Was, but but it's yeah, not. Exactly. It's not a general fair critique well once again you know i mean i don't think anyone's worried about what the fuck i think about notorious big nor should they be right but <laughs> you know i'm just saying it's kind of like and frankly like you know i i don't listen to a whole lot of rap and hip-hop but like his his mouth always just sounded lazy like that i like like chuck d like when but someone's I, I just like coming the way, at it i yeah. like that the way that's that why it's it was good. laid back it kind of melded well with like the beats that were behind it it, it definitely introduced yeah you know, i didn't hear really much of any east coast rap until i got into college before that i only heard him when i was in rural mississippi and junior high and high school it was basically like the, the rap i heard was dr dre and and snoop dogg and like tupac and biggie and then outcast maybe like those the, the ones who like really transcended the genre and like yeah. got into like and mainstream to what you but biggie but when i heard the east coast stuff i was like oh yeah this is what he was doing but he was just better than all this I yeah i just feel like all my favorite parts of of, of biggie are the Isley Brothers, so I just listen to the Isley Brothers, <laughs> which is like what most of that music is. The music's super cool. What about you know Nine Inch Nails was basically? I know I like to point out that you guys are older than me, but like that was basically when you guys were in junior high, high school, right? Yeah. yeah. And the thing about Trent Reznor is like such an honest contribution. You can tell who it is pretty much immediately, and the songwriting's still there, as demonstrated by Johnny Cash recording you know some of these songs where you can take out. All yeah. the funky synthy computer stuff, and you still have a cool song. Well, and he's been yeah. such a big part of music pop culture for the past 20, 30 years because he's done yeah. so many soundtracks. Yeah, social just network so, stuff. so many. Yeah, he's probably one of the more significant, you know, artists I, I would say of the last twenty or thirty years, and really trailblazing a new sound. It's electronic, but it's still rock, industrial. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> he's from Cleveland, right? That's what you get. I was watching Veep and. Gary said he's from Birmingham, Alabama, and some of guys. This guy was like, "Oh, that's a great city." He's like, "Yeah, people call it the Pittsburgh of the South." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Nice." <laughs> and on that note, you are listening to Pod Gabe Rock and Roll to you. We tried this last week, but we're going to try something new before we introduce the song. Mention any music that we've listened to this week that's worth mentioning, whether it's new music, old music, something you hadn't heard in a while. Neil, anything? No. Well, I've just I was listening to some old '90s music. I was listening to some Chili Peppers, some some of their '80s stuff too, and I was actually listening to a lot of old Beck. Nothing to really point. Well, the One Foot in the Grave, that like 30 song album of his, it's all acoustic and blues and stuff like that. It's really cool. I don't know if you guys have ever nice. listened to that. I I like Beck. I, I don't. Th- I, I've never heard that. Not a huge Chili Peppers guy though. None of it. 
Mm, I mean, I like some. Of, I like some of their hits. Well, I, 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 I don't ever need to hear the Chili Peppers. This the level of musicianship between, especially when John Frusciante's in the band. The, le, the you know you probably have the best bass player of his generation and the best guitar player of his generation like in the same band. So that just if for that alone, like I could definitely dig it. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying I, for me, it's not something I want to hear. Yeah, I don't know. I was listening. I may have mentioned this last week to some Van Morrison. There's a song called Bulbs, which is <laughs> I, I've never heard it. Are you are you saying like bulbs, like a like a, like a light bulb, bulb or a light bulb? Yep, yep. It's cool. Man. It's just one of those things where it, it's just like if someone said Van Morrison was the most musical person of all time, I probably could agree with that. Just because this is one of these songs where nothing fancy in the chords, there's no lyrics in the chorus again, which is a reoccurring theme with Van Morrison. Can't understand the words, and yet I can't listen to the song just one time. I have to. I, I'll put it on repeat and let's do it like six times. And it's just G, C, and D, E minor, and just Van Morrison being incredible. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> it's funny you bring up Van Morrison because uh, my girlfriend and I were like had just a night and we were like drinking wine and playing Scrabble and cribbage and just listening to records. And I put on this Kings of Leon record, Come Around Sundown, which is, which is fine. And then she's like, oh, I'll put on something I know, and I grab Van Morrison Moondance which you know I have the record but I haven't listened to that album in 10 years and the first side of that album is so good it's so good I mean it starts off with Anastomy Moondance Crazy Love Caravan Into the Mystic <laughs> that's the first side of the of the of the record it's it's every single one of those songs are classics yeah I mean the thing I love about him is there's zero image involvement you know, it's not. It's, it's nothing about his looks or any of that bullshit. And that's something you can fake. I mean, you can. A lot of bands hype that, and I love the fact that, like with him, it's like it has nothing to do with it. I, I just think there's something inherently baked in when image isn't a thing that, like, there has to be a, a content. A girl I dated a while back, she was like, "God, I wish I never saw a picture of him." Well, speaking of soul singers, this week we are discussing one of the all-time greats, Mr. Bobby Womack, and his song "Across 110th Street." You don't know what you do till you put on a pressure. Across 110th Street is a hell of a tester. I think it's an amazing song from this era. Really stands out from like that funk soul kind of time in the early 70s. I remember hearing it as a teenager doing a double take, being like, damn, what is that shit? It just, it really caught my ear. I think I saw it on a movie or something, which is perfect because it's one of the ultimate soundtrack songs. The chorus is so powerful, the way it sweeps in, it kind of catches you off guard. The beginning and the verses are so funky, but then just when that chorus comes in, it really kind of sweeps you off your feet. The song has so much soul, passion, desperation. Kind of like he's just pleading so hard, trying to just speak to the dangers that lie beyond 110th Street. And the song always stuck out to me as a hidden gem, kind of lost in the fog of like Curtis, Marvin, and just that era. Like it's not quite as highly touted as some of those other artists, but I think uh, for my money, it's it's one of the best. I've never seen the movie that it was written for, but I've heard the song. I feel like since I was young, but I'm actually not really sure about that. I, I, it really blends in with with Shaft for me, and I, I, maybe that's because of the rhythm, or maybe because I don't think it's because they're both soundtrack songs. But I do believe this song is more message wise 
it, it's more realistic. It's it's not really about a guy. It's about a situation and a place and a time and a very very specific group of people. And yeah, it's a super powerful song in that way. I mean, obviously his voice, his vocal is is fantastic, and the composition is fantastic, and the production is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, for me, it just takes me back to growing up in the hood <laughs> in New York. <laughs> <laughs> in the in the mid seventies, it just takes me right. New York, New York, North Carolina. Jonathan, I didn't know you were from Harlem. <laughs> but see, that's the point of the song. That's what's so amazing about it is he conveys the experience so well that it feels like your own memory, and yeah. that you know that's what art does, right? It's to share your perspective with the world, and in doing so, it ties people together in a way and communicates in a way that transcends words, and it. While there may be political this and that over undertones, it's just a situation where you cut out all the bullshit and, and when you're communicating uh, via music, messages come across and things that can't really be explained in numbers or graphs or even with the best of intentions. You know, Chuck Berry once said to uh, Jerry Lee Lewis that he thought maybe they were doing more f for race relations than anybody. And I think he's right because like comedy, if you love music, if you, you know, there's a quote, if nothing withstands uh nothing can withstand the assault of humor and the same with good music man if you dig it you're gonna like it and if you like it you're gonna have to like the folks who are making it and then if you like them then it's like well it, it gives you an experience of somebody else's struggle and it just really brings people together we can go ahead and get to the lyrics and the mess and, and the songwriting of it lyrically the songwriting of it i'm not really sure how much a white audience was hearing this song in 1972 when this came out but if you did hear it, it is almost like a plea of like, to the people who live there, it's like, this is what we're going through. And to mm -hmm, the people who mm -hmm. don't, this is what we're going through. Help yeah. us out. And not, like, not help us out. <laughs> but, well, it's just... But you know what I'm saying? This is what we're going through. Like, mm -hmm. be... Like, be... It's okay, Josh. It's okay. You're not racist. Oh, wait. <laughs> be cool, man. It's You're hard. Fine. It's, You're fine. Look, yeah. A white person doesn't take this song and make it rock and roll. You know, like, like this is just something different. You know, I mean, this yeah, is very totally. specific. I love... It's It's nothing super poetic. It's just kind of like a cautionary tale, very matter-of-fact. It's almost like the, the chorus is so powerful. It's, it's all about the chorus. Like, there's good storytelling in the verses, but with this song and with kind of the way I feel about a lot of songs I could take or leave the verse the verse verses don't mean a ton to me just the when the chorus comes in it's so powerful if you get down to the songwriting part of it it's it's a pretty basic song I mean it, it's it's verse chorus verse chorus and then there's a little tiny bridge that gets you right back into the verse chorus, chorus structure but like as you said Neil I mean the the, the chorus it's so succinct how he how he makes the point across 110th street pimps trying to catch a woman that's weak across 110th street pushers won't let the junkie go free across 110th street woman trying to catch a it's, it's very repetitive do not ever like, read that shit like that again man but <laughs> you're offending me with the fucking like you can't be reading this shit like it's a Jonathan. goddamn but it, it's very repetitive it sets up for that very last tagline of you can find it all in the street it's very effective at what it's doing yeah. it's very powerful that it, it conveys the desperation and the the situation and also you know i don't want to say it makes it sound cool but it fucking like well, it it's does. Very, it, like the music. It does in a way. It's a very cautionary tale, but it's like he's also saying, like, if you want that shit, this is where you find it. <laughs> you know, if you want a hooker and some crack, go um, across 110 Street. Man, $26. But Johnny, what are your thoughts on the songwriting? Uh, I think the verse sets the setting, it provides the 
it's the set. It lets you know. It gives you context. It creates the environment. Exactly. And so in that case, it's essential. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. it ain't the jelly, but it is the peanut butter. Um, it is it is so, essential, but I think he could be saying he could be telling any kind of like little story there, you know. I don't know. I think it has to be about. It has to. Well, yes, it has to be about. Right, right. Yeah. So I don't think. Okay, if you, I know if your point is it's not lyric driven, it's definitely not lyric driven, but it is it is narrative driven, which is yes, more yes. important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's and that establishes uh, the narrative and and it, it builds the tension and that is the heartbeat of the song is the tension. It's very point point A, point B, point C, point D, point point F equals across 110th Street. What he sets up in the verse is is very straightforward, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna tell you how it is to live here. And now I'm gonna give you like a nice hook that where it is and what you're gonna find. I also read that he was the third brother of five, so this is almost like a very. This could not be autobiographical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he's. It's it's very personal this song, but it was also a soundtrack. It, it was it's just such a stroke of genius the whole song. What what's your favorite line of the of the lyric? Uh, well, for me they're just they're, it's just utilitarian. It's not lyric driven, so it's kind of like what's your favorite bass note in the two bass notes in that country song? It's the thing that's moving the narrative along. So it's you know it's not well, yeah. lyric driven. And and my favorite lyric is how he makes just repeating a street name. So great. My favorite lyric is across 110th Street. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and it is. The, the, the repetitiveness is, this is where it is. This is what's going on here in this specific spot. I would say the most powerful line for me was, I'm not saying what I did was all right. Trying yeah. to break out of the ghetto was a day-to-day fight. I mean, that's like, that's a whole setup for the song right there. Like, Third yeah. Brother of Five is pretty much anybody could be that. Doing whatever I had to do to survive, anybody could be that. And then he really establishes... This is where I'm. This is what I'm talking about. If you didn't already know by the rhythm and well, it also <laughs> it also sets him up. Hey, I'm not perfect. I've made some mistakes. Maybe he's went across 110th Street before. No, I you think know, he just... lives across 110th Street, right? <laughs> like they all live across 110th. Yes, we're talking. He's talking about the place across 110th Street is just the the railroad tracks in this song. I mean that. It really has nothing to do with anything. Right, but he's other talking than... about his side of the tracks being the bad. Side. Yes, right, exactly. He's talking about this is where I am. This right. is where it's we're across 110th Street. This is what right. we're doing over here, right? Yeah, to exactly. survive, you know. Exactly. But once again, so really, what it is, it's a narration. It's not really they're lyrics, but they're not song lyrics in the traditional sense. It's like a narrator telling you mm-hmm. what's going on, yeah. and then the yeah. chorus explains the narrative. But yeah, and so in that sense, it crushes it. It's right on. Like I said, you're not going to play this song. Uh, you got to have the tension of the music and that. Kind of, the lyrics by themselves are not going to carry it any more than playing gcd carries bob dylan like you know that's just like the bait yeah. that's the thing so uh, the lyrics are probably they're very important but they're at least specifically important i think part of the, of the of the track because this is for a movie and part of a soundtrack i mean you can even look at it like it, it's set up right. it's almost like the dialogue or the voiceover and then that chorus is like the action or the montage or, or whatever you want to mm-hmm. yeah I, like, that's I where all the that. shit happens yeah, well, that's where they are. That's where we are. I watch Good Times a lot, and mm. this would be the perfect, perfect theme song for Good Times. If like, obviously, it's too big for that. Is it, it Good Times? Too desperate for good, like not Is real, it but good, like, times good Times had perfect? more of an uplifting <laughs> feel to it. Did you guys ever see Good Times? Um, I watched it. I watched it all the time on uh, I think Nick at Night. 
Yeah, because the show is about folks living the projects and just the struggle of the projects. Yeah, they, but it was more of a sitcom feel. It wasn't as like serious as I interpret this song. Well, no, lyrically. man, there's folks addicted to heroin on there and shit. Like you know, like people get robbed. Like I mean, my point being is, I ain't saying it's the same artistic content. I'm saying it would have worked well. When I think of when I hear this song, well, yeah, yeah, I see dudes and, and I see cold like steam and shit coming up out of like manhole covers and folks with hands in their pockets and like just mm-hmm, shit's tough. Mm-hmm. It's shit's hard and like that's what good times is all about. I think about that, this concrete jungle, like Marley would have put it, yep. that kind of stuff. But the same thing that was so cool about it, and we'll get into this, you know, later on, but like out of that, that they find beauty and they express beauty in the song. Like the dude telling the story out of all this hard lifeness, there's still beauty and love and, and soul, which is fucking incredible. Just the way he captures the essence of struggle so well and makes it sound so makes the pain sound so beautiful. The music is what provides the beauty, though. I mean, like the, the, if you just read the lyrics, I don't know why you're dissecting it. Whatever, it's like the Ferrari's red, the engine's awesome. Like whatever, no, it's all together. I, well, I'm no, not. I'm, well, I was listen. actually using that to segue into the music because I do think if you're talking about just what he's discussing and like the narrative is very bleak and very desperate and very sad and very right, right, right. Uh, yes, yes. The There's mel- not a the lot melody. of beauty in it. Yeah, the There's melody not of the any chorus. Any beauty in it, in in the words, it's all about that. That music behind it, kind of, and, and the melody, like you say, are, are yeah. what really provides the uplift yeah, yeah, and the beauty. Right. Earlier, when Josh just read the lyrics, it gets very dark. But yes, the funk and just the sweeping chorus that really that the melody brings that beauty to it. And you know, that's part of the songwriting, but it also segues right into music. That's what you read between the lines, though. Like the lyrics that aren't there is like because that's the emotional content. And so, to your point, they they're working together. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not saying the lyrics themselves are you know the source of. It's it's hard to uh, and express difficulty in a aesthetically pleasing way. But see, that's what makes people want to listen to it. And then if they listen to it, they'll under better understand your situation because. It's so awesome, you want to keep listening to it. If it's no good... Well, yeah, and that's what I opened the podcast by saying when I was a teenager, like, this song made me, like, It was a Jackie Brown. Did you hear it in Jackie Brown? No, I... Well, I thought I heard it in Dead Presidents, but I I did research today, and I don't think it's in that movie. I don't (laughs) know if it was... I thought you were going to say Dead Poets Society. I'm like, this shit was definitely not in fucking Dead Poets Society, I promise you. No, Dead Presidents. I I thought it was in that movie. Maybe it was on, like, a a teaser trailer or something, but I always associated that song with that movie, which would have worked perfect, but I don't think it was a part of that movie, which I was bewildered when I went down the fucking internet hole today. I was like, what? What? The the rhythm just kicks in, and the, oh, Captain, my Captain, my Captain. Oh, one of the reasons, I mean, y- we can't really talk about, you know, we mentioned Bobby Womack, but the other writer of the song is the composer J.J. Johnson, who was a bebop, I mean, who just has an amazing career if you go read about this guy. You know, he was, a be- he was early in the bebop in the 50s, 40s, 50s, and then became this big composer and was in the Hollywood in the 70s kind of doing doing this stuff. So, I mean, he's the guy creating this amazing yeah. sound that kind of well, lifts up this depressing yeah. and, and to urban. that point like a lot of this music the strings just give it so much weight it, it'd be great music without it but it also it just makes it so much dreamier and soundtrack like i'm not that that's a compliment but like it just it makes it so finished and polished and dreamy it also makes it very urgent i mean it, it, the, the strings kind of add to the urgency of the oh, situation yeah, yeah, yeah. the narrative is talking about as well yeah, it's a composition, right? It's almost like classical yeah. music where, where everything's working that way. Real quick, on the lyrics, the thing is, though, he's talking about um, 
telling the dude to take his advice, either leave or die. He's like, you know, you got to be strong. So he's still, there's encouragement in the lyrics. I'm not going to say, maybe not beauty, but encouragement is a type of beauty, you know, emotionally. That, it's that's, not hopeless. That's, sure. Right, right, right. It's, it's still bleak. But what I think what's cool about it is, is it suggests strength. If Because if you couple difficulty with it making you improve yourself, the undercurrent there is, is strength. And that's awesome, you know. In, in, that's in fair. A, in a positive way, which is cool. Yeah, and I think that that's part of it, just the way he's he's trying to speak to people and tell them, like, what to look out for and, and just with the music and the lyric, inspiring them to live a better life and, and not, you know, go down those roads. All right, so wait, let, let's get back to it, because I have a question about the music. So the, the rhythm like that, when it comes in with the... Yeah, that's a that, is that just a guitar? Yeah, like, well, it's, a, it's yeah the wah the wah guitar like just, that's a, just very, a wah guitar. Yeah, there, well, there's well, some percussion there, going on or something. Yeah, there's a synth. There's that, but but the wah guitar is just brilliant. It's 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 so classy. It's such a good uh, representation of what you can do with like a funk wah. But what is that? Where does that come from? It, it's not Motown. Is it like an evolution of Motown? Because it, it's still R and B. Like, is it just this it is what Motown evolved to? I, well, I, I don't know if we even know this, but what is the first like time that that kind of rhythm, kind of that funky rhythm, kind of came into R and B? Or well, are you talking about the rhythm, or are you talking about the in, like the tonality of like the wah and shit? Well, he's try, I think he's talking about the syncopation of the wah. Yeah. That. Yeah. I think I mean I, I don't know, but it was definitely around. I mean that's why this stuff's so influential. This yeah. kind of stuff, Curtis Mayfield. Like, I don't I really don't know where that vibe. But here's what I was gonna say was the reason why you didn't hear it in Motown as much is because this stuff wasn't in, this was invented. It's like technology was coming along. So wah pedals, yeah. like mid 60s, 65, 66. And so then that's you start what hearing I'm it, asking. You start hearing it, but it was a technological advancement really more okay. than a, they just weren't around like fuzz well, pedals, yeah. all that stuff. And you heard it with um, Cream and Hendrix, but more in a like loud like. Voodoo Chow or um, what's the classic Cream song with uh, Wah? Oh, Tales of Brave Ulysses. I think all it all came out like right around this time. Like I was looking it up and Curtis Mayfield, Bill Withers, like all this kind of music was right around like early 70s. Mm-hmm. Even Superfly and this movie came out in the same year, 72. It just kind of finally evolved to that place and I think they use it so much because it be can become more of percussive. It's it also more sounds of, amazing. It's well, it was more new. Of a, it was the newest thing. It was like yeah, using making beats. It was like, oh, yeah. when that technology comes around, folks start making beats. They weren't making beats before. Yeah, and it's not just technology. strumming a guitar. It's like you can yeah. make it sound like a weird drum, like. And it's also like this sound. This song sounds like a pre, like a direct precursor. Well, they would sample this kind of. Like, those were samples come from and stuff like this. Well, yeah, it's sam- that, but You know, I mean, a lot yeah. of hip hop is literally exactly this kind of stuff. But even like the message of the song and stuff, and like talking about what's happening in you know oh, yeah. that neighborhood. Well, what's cool though, this is in direct lineage lineage from like Woody Guthrie. That's what's so cool about it. Is it's like mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. it's of that ethos, which is really well, like cool. it's it's talking about across the tracks. It's a very old tale wrapped up in a 70s kind of this is one of the few times i've heard one of the first times rather i've heard of yeah motherfuckers this is what it's like across the tracks you guys always talk about fucking across the tracks yeah i live here here's what it's like mm-hmm. it's, yeah. it's not like a cautionary it's just like oh this is where we are like you're afraid and, to come where i have to fucking live every day and the music kind of makes it palatable 
to oh yeah it's also one of those songs that you could listen to and even if you didn't give a shit what was happening across the tracks which unfortunately too many people in this country do still not care but it, 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 it like i think jonathan you were talking about this in a previous pod of like when the music is kind of uplifting and right. the message is not it almost allows you to kind of get into the song and the message to just slowly soak soak in like after you yeah. listen to it a lot I definitely say the word for this is in this tune. It's bittersweet, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and and yeah. and like we've talked about before, not not that it's necessarily hot bacon cold lettuce, but it is all the verses are minor, and then the chorus comes right. in with an Opens F up. and G, and then it goes back to a minor. But just those two major chords of across the hunt, like just and the actual the only time it's major chords is the name of the song across 110th street and then it goes back to minor you know what other album does that all the fucking time is that under the table and dreaming that dave matthews album it's all and, no, yeah. and, and what's cool about that, and that's why they, the courses are so massive. But what's cool about that is while this oh, is not, yes, yeah. well, no, I mean, Dave Matthews, I think, was from South Africa originally. But even with that dude, it's kind of like, it's the same kind of like struggle. It's a different struggle. It's not a socioeconomic struggle, but it's a mental struggle. And, and so that's where that technique or even a device you could have come in starting minor and then going to the major in the verses, it just, it feels like the sun came out. You know, mm-hmm. and, yes, uh, yes, and so exactly. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great uh, metaphor. Well, how does that differentiate from? We may not keep this in the podcast, but how does that differentiate from, say, a blues song that's super fucking sad? But it, all of that's in major or sevens, I guess. Oh, well, okay. Well, I have this fucking kind of TED Talk thing. I'm not going to get into it, but this is cool. This is cool. Is that a TED Talk or a Johnny Talk? It's a Jonathan Ted Horton talk. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Jonathan, T- Jonathan Theodore. No, it's Ted. It's Ted. It's like my John, dad's name. Was- no, just John Top. So Josh, you said like it's major, right? But what's so interesting about blues, man, is and this is something you would never hear in classical music. What distinguishes it from European music is you're playing major chords, but then you're emphasizing minor thirds and sevenths, which create a mm-hmm. dissonance. It's very yeah. dissonant. And the thing about that is what's so sick about it is like it's dissonant, but then when you resolve it, and it always resolves, it never stays there. When it resolves, there's a sense of resolution. And I actually, a flattened third played with a major third, like right beside each other, like is the almost like one of the worst sounds. You, it's like the wrongest sound you can make. But and I've always thought of that lately, or like at least lately, as a metaphor for like the dissonance of the experience of folks that's the thing they're talking about and and, and it's really the most dissonant sound you can make when you're a half step off but then it resolves and in that man it's like the perfect metaphor for like what african americans have done in america is they've come in the worst some of the worst circumstances in human civilization and then made the most significant art of the Mm -hmm. last 200 Mm -hmm. years out of it and it's just but it's all comes back to that you're playing major chords, but you're playing these flattened, dissonant thirds against them. The chords aren't minor. If you play a minor third with a minor chord, it sounds European. It's so like the, the, the ability to find hope in the most dire circumstances. Hope that inspires the world. Yeah. I mean, that's fucking yeah, crazy. Then, uh-huh. At its best, when you take that and then you take folks from Europe mixing together, hanging out once again. If well, folks, then, hang then, out, folks hang out together, you're going to have music that come about different, and you're going to have kids that come about different. Because or you're going to have fights. <laughs> Well, and yeah, that and too. 
in in a way you can almost like comp- compare this to Shaft or say Superfly, which are very similar songs, and you can say the white community probably took those songs because those two songs I feel are more popular in the white community because they're way easier to take. This is just way too real. Like if if you listen to it. For a lot of you know, a lot of white people, a lot of the white community doesn't want to have anything to do with that or know about it. I don't think it's it. consciously though; they're just just not exposed. Yeah, to I don't it. think so either. I think it's all subconscious. But the other songs are about kind of fictional characters that they find yeah. cool, whereas well, this is about right. reality. Which yeah, and I had that. Hard to find. Uh, you know, cool. as because they all came out around the same time, and I feel like um, Shaft and Superfly are a little more tongue in cheek, a little more soundtracky. Like Superfly this is, is this is so real. I definitely what? take Superfly. Well, you're right. The song, the, no. the content's different. The con- it's different no, content. No, I think Superfly. Oh, I'm going to take, take Superfly all day over these, over the the three songs. Over what? Like if I'm going to listen to this Shaft or Superfly, I'm going to listen to Superfly. No, I'm listening to this. I'm really? well, proving my, I'm proving my point. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I love. Superfly. But this Superfly. one is more serious. If that was your point, like this one yes, is more that, serious. This one, this one no. is more based in reality. It's and more not based in- on some cool like character. Yeah, it's more infectious. I think Curtis Mayfield is like some of those songs are just so beautifully written and just sonically they sound so cool what he's doing. But I would say the only one from Superfly that I would even say is on this level is Freddy's Dead. I think that's the only one that kind of reaches. I mean, it's a little tongue in cheek, but the rest of it is just like Superfly, like and uh, Pusher Man. It's so kind of cheesy compared to this. This is. A much better infectious representation of like the, that. This struggle. one's more. This is more blue collar for sure. This is more practical. Yeah. Those are more character driven. I'm explaining this. This dude. This is like a character song. So I, I hear yeah. what you're saying. And really, the reason I picked this song is because it's my favorite of all that stuff. Like I oh, really? do. I do love Curtis. Um, yeah, musically, and, I know. definitely like Curtis. I like. I do prefer well, Curtis to this, but that's okay. I mean, certainly. No, I prefer Curtis as a whole. But I think if I had to pick one song. From any of those albums, it would be this one. If I had to take one song to a desert island, even, even what like, would move, you take? Uh, move on up. Yeah, well, actually, that was kind of um, when I when I was <laughs> doing my research. One. No, that 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 is it's a great song. Um, <laughs> or I have I just have a real affinity. I've always had, and that, that's not to say it's better. Here's the thing: Bobby Womack did so many different things in his career. He was all he was producing. Yeah. He was so yeah. This was like and a, I'm just talking about this one song. Oh like, yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. And it's, and move on up. That that's a good point. There's something perfect. about it's there's perfect. something about this chorus that I think is more powerful than any of Curtis Mayfield's choruses. Well, I hear you. Basically, to me, uh, what this is like this is like uh, like what Duke Ellington would have been doing in the '70s, right? Like this is what this, oh, it's nice, that yeah. kind of that's stuff. Right. It's that it's like mm-hmm. it's a it's a composer. And yeah. it also draws yeah. from like Arla Guthrie and all the all, all the old school blues guys. That's why. I can just feel my experience of growing up there. While Wait, I was but, <laughs> but again, you can't overstate. I mean, the composer, the guy who who composed this, right, wrote the, the music, right, right. J.J. Right. Johnson, who is a very world like renowned jazz trombonist. Like this, you're going back to Duke Ellington almost. Yeah, with but this guy. I'm unclear. Did um, I think Womack wrote like the core of it? You know, the he probably wrote the and, song. And then yeah, the other yeah. dude arranged yeah. it. But the arrangement probably, is, it's such a huge part of it. Like, oh, the it way the, the intro comes in, like uh, Josh started this with, with the, the wah guitars, the synth, and even, like, the the wahs and his, like, little woo in the beginning. Like, just that. Oh, that high pit. Yeah, that's yeah, cool. It's great. It's so great. It's such a great um, sound. And then just throughout the song, there's so much going on with guitars. Like, those fuzz guitars you can hear from time to time coming in and out. A basic rhythm, then the wahs. Congo's much... So much uh, percussion, um, 
the strings, great drumming, obviously. Um, and, and those, the, the octaves add a lot too. Like, I, I don't think before like the early seventies, too many people did that. Bum, 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 like the yeah. real octave bass kind of clicks. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the intro, um, that, that high falsetto thing he's doing is like, it's like uh, reminiscent of a uh, siren, right? It kind of yeah, 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 it's yeah, totally yeah. Like, a beautiful mm-hmm. siren, not one where you're like, ah, that's loud. It, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, but it, it just has that, that is dissonant, but then he pulls it back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the, it's so, but, and the arrangement for folks who don't really make music or nothing, the arrangement in this is almost like somebody who'd be making the beats for a song these days. It's that significant. It's very. You know, and some folks do it themselves, but and this one, and I'm sure Bobby Womack had gave the dude a lot of direction. Well, uh, Womack produced produced the song, right, exactly, well. right, right. Mm-hmm. So, so I mean, it was probably a lot of some jazz. He wanted some well, old school, like, and it's got everything from that era. That that little breakdown before the verse, that boom, 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 boom. The whole oh, it's, like, it's just, so of a time. Yeah, you oh, know, it when you hear it. Like it, right? Yeah. Like it, it was. Yeah. The, it defi- it's like being like Ch- yeah. Rock, Johnny Be Good. It's like it, it, everything came from that shit. It's yeah, it was released in '73. I mean, it's right around that. So, I mean, it's like, yeah, yeah it's, it's it's trailblazing. So what? So what's uh, so Neil? You picked a song. What's your favorite part? My favorite part is um, right at the end of the last chorus and the outro. Like you, what we talked about before. You can find it all. Like he 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 stretches that all for like, you like when he eight seconds. You can find it all. eight seconds and then he's uh and then he's just kind of scatting with like look around you yeah, look around you yeah, like and then it just ends so like that last 30 seconds of the song i picked it because of the chorus but that's a little boring to say yeah the chorus is my favorite part but jonathan um when he drops in on the vocal uh, of the verse when he's yeah. like but but it, 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 oh, he drops so like that, that, that melody is bum, just so cause, great. Because oh, yeah. it goes from that bum 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 boom, and then it gets super syncopated. And there's like what the fuck, da 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 da. Right, there's so much going yeah. on rhythmically, and when, when there's that much going on rhythmically, you can be pretty minimal in your uh, melodic phrasing, and yeah. and it's also happening. And like, and then the rest of it's kind of like a resolution to that. But that first part, man, I, re- I, d- I just dig how it drops into that setting. It's really Wait. cool. I agree with you. I mean, that's that's definitely my favorite part of the song. But I also love like the bridge. Like I said earlier, this is definitely like direct lineage to hip hop. Like that bridge is basically like something you you mm-hmm, hear mm-hmm. in this song that you end up hearing in. Well, yeah, I think this was. I got probably... one more thing. I'd like to talk to you now. You know, I mean, it's it's yeah, like know. we talked about because it's so serious and representative of just that time the era people struggles like it it was very infectious with many musicians well, yeah as i said it's for it's been sampled in 42 hip-hop tracks and it's been covered six times did you guys listen to any in our under the cover section no, i was afraid to listen to any? any covers of this well there's not many covers but there's one that was very impressive but it's with bobby womack it's los lobos and bobby yeah Lomack. that's the only one that i kind of and it's so good it was, i mean it's, it's cool. It's exactly what you think it would sound like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, it, but, but I, I, but I, I, I was very Spanish impressed. or something? Like, what is it? <laughs> no, no, it's Bobby. It's just them playing it. I also just wanted to shout out Los Lobos. They're fucking great. They always are. They're such pros. 
Yeah, no, they're yeah, awesome. I mean, they definitely have established a, a, a specific sound that's, you know, not bad. I don't hate it. Um, <laughs> what the fuck? What kind of dick thing to say is that? That established a sound. It's not bad. I don't hate it. Moving on. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. This week, we want to give a shout out to our friends from the band Bad Business who have their own podcast called Imbibe the Vibe. Check it out. Hey, all you pod gave rock and roll to you fans. This is Alex and Jackson from the Imbibe the Vibe podcast. Have you ever wondered, what should I drink while enjoying a fine piece of music? We did, and we made a show about it. We take really fancy cocktails and mix them with cool tunes. And we also teach you how to mix those fancy drinks so you can do them at home. Check us out wherever your pods are served. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and remember, like we say, have fun, have out, fun there. out there. If people like this music, like, what would you recommend, John? All the uh, Curtis Mayfield and stuff. There's a tune by Bill Withers called "I Can't Write Left Hand" that's really cool. There's a there's a new Great show song. though on a Netflix called Fear City. Uh, it's about hmm. the FBI and the mob. And there's a song, the theme song, man, it's fantastic. It's more that kind of minor to major business. It's called yeah. Hard Times, but this is, is this dude, is, is, the group is Baby Huey and the Babysitters. <laughs> <laughs> and it's freaking awesome, man. It's really cool. Um, so, so definitely that. Josh, do you have any recommendations? I, I would say listen to Wilson Pickett. For some reason, his voice reminds me of Wilson Pickett's voice a little bit, Curtis Mayfield. But I would say like a song similar to this uh, is a song by Syl Johnson called um, Is It Because I'm Black? And it deals with similar kind of issues. It's a great freaking song. That was my song for next week. <laughs> <laughs> Neil, what what uh, what would you? Um, well, uh, there was. I mean, we talked about so many people, but there's one artist specifically. I, I feel like and in, was inspired by uh, Bobby is uh, Shuggy Otis. Just the way that, he. I know that name. Who yeah, is that? Uh, well, he came out with an album in the late 70s um, okay. that was re-released in the 90s and actually um, at one point the Stones asked him to be their guitar player and he turned him down oh, which wow. I thought was a huge fucking bad idea Shuggy <laughs> that's a, well I mean yeah it's a bad idea but you know he's doing his own it's just you know who you are if you turn down the Stones guitar player you're uh, you're your own man you're that dude who but, turned down the fucking no he's songs. got an album he's got an album called um inspiration information it's great a couple facts about bobby i didn't know at one point he was sam cook's backing guitar player which is amazing yeah and he wrote the stones first uk hit yeah 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 yeah. yeah. That, it's that, all over now right right which is uh that, that's just awesome i mean i had no idea before i uh i got a fact it, for so. you he fucked sam cook's wife and his daughter Ooh. <laughs> yeah that's a fucked up fact he married his fucking daughter his wife after he died and then was fucking his daughter on the side it's documented oh boy alright yeah. well, no 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 Sam Cook's brother Bobby nearly, Sam Cook's brother nearly beat him to death like like nearly beat him to fucking death when he's huh. married when he started going out with Sam Cook's uh wife wow yeah. I think a lot of people probably would have reacted like that <laughs> how does the shoe fit I would say this song is more for the guy wearing the fucking hand-me-down sneakers that he had to fucking put in the washing machine and is trying to fucking get his shit together and stay away from that shit and, you know, succeed in yeah. life and not be a pimp. Or... <laughs> Jonathan, how does the shoe fit? Yeah, the shoe definitely fits, man. It's great. Like I said, it, it's great just aesthetically. I, I dig the music. Then when you bring the uh, socioeconomic 
someone reflecting on their experience is clearly, clearly different than mine and, and then relaying that and tapping into the, you know, just the humanity of folks. And, you know, it kind of lets you know that, like, if you were in that situation, you'd feel the same way. You'd be doing the same shit. And it's just like we're all – our circumstances are important. So for, for all those reasons and, and besides the fact that it's just fucking cool, yeah, yeah. The, the shoe absolutely fits. Uh, I'll say the, the shoe fits like a, a, a marching, a protesting boot. You know. I was like, don't go say some like fucking sailboat and shoes, Josh. Like you're like it fits like a nice uh Oxford. It's like, no, it doesn't. Um and on that note, we are about to play <laughs> Across One Hundred and Tenth Street by Bobby Womack. a better way out Snowing that coke Shooting that dope man You're copping out Take my advice It's either live or die You gotta be strong If you wanna survive you See the family On the other side of town Would catch hell Without a ghetto around In every city You find the same thing Going down Harlem is the capital of every ghetto town. Have a sing Across 110th Street, pimps trying to catch a woman this week. Across 110th Street, pushers won't let the junkies go free. No, baby. Across 110th Street, a woman trying to catch a trick on the street. Hey.
The cover you just heard was performed by Josh Bond and Neil Marsh. Thanks for listening to Pod Gave Rock and Roll to you. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and rate on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram under the handle at PodGaveRock. Next week is Josh's week. Josh, what are we going to do? We are going to dive into the Kim Carnes 1980 smash hit, Betty Davis Eyes. This is a no diving zone because it's way too shallow. So just be careful. Just be clear about that. It's way not deep enough to dive into. Let's step into this very, very cautiously. <laughs> so what you're saying is, can't wait. <laughs>